brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Softrep.com, on time, on target. Really enjoyed the last episode with John Robb. We went really long, and I see that he um, just posted it on Global Gorillas, which is really cool. Appreciate him spreading the word, and I think he enjoyed coming on and said he'd be back. Yeah, no, that was a great, great interview. I mean, he had a lot of terrific information to share, and I love his perspective. I mean, he has just comments to make about, like, political trends and future trends and what's going on in the world that, like, you're just not hearing from other news sources or other analysts. I mean, he has a really unique perspective, and I think he puts his finger on what's going on much better than um, just about everybody else, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I agree, and I, I like that we have really versatile guests on here. It's it's not always soft guys, although he is a soft guy. We didn't get into all of that. Yeah. Um, but much like this episode, we're going to have Dave Phillips on, who's a New York Times writer and um, focuses on veterans' issues, and I'm excited to hear about this development of ecstasy being used as um relief from ptsd and, and it's not just like a, a theory right reading this article there's been some studies done and more studies are going to be done by the fda and other um other groups and uh, you know you know i mean it sounds crazy but is it really any more i, I mean it's, it's probably less crazy than the amount of pills they're shoving down these guys throats that are are proven to have a lot of negative side effects yeah so I mean, I, I've heard of all kinds of weird treatments um, for PTSD from, like, magnets um, to, you know, of course, medical marijuana is another one that gets talked about a lot. And now... Fucking magnets. How do they work? Ah, did, 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 magic. Did, did that uh, reference... <laughs> did you get the reference? No. There's someone listening who does. No, there's a... there's. <laughs> There was an insane clown posse song that had the lyric, fucking magnets, how do they work? Water, fire, air, and dirt, fucking magnets, how do they work? And I don't want to talk to a scientist, y'all motherfuckers lying and getting me pissed. And it became just like this giant meme, they ended up spooking <laughs> it on Saturday Night Live. So anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't listened to ICP since I was in high school, Ian, so uh, no, I... N- neither did a lot of people who will remember that line. <laughs> um... But, I mean, yeah, apparently they've done some studies about using MDMA to treat PTSD. Uh, that's too many acronyms. But, nonetheless... Well, we, MDMA yeah, is the is the actual drug that's yeah. in ecstasy. And, which, by the way, should be... Um, There's been talks about using uh, DMT, which, is, um, which is basically acid, to treat PTSD. So, it's, I don't know, I don't know like, how legit some of this stuff is and how much of it is just like... Different people, different doctors or firms or whoever, they're just like, oh, PTSD is like a big problem. You know, it's in the headlines. Let's just throw whatever we have at it. So we're going to give vets DMT and and MDMA and see what happens. I think it's important, though, um, as I was going to say, to um, specify MDMA, because also from what I've read, a lot of people, uh, what people get with the street drug ecstasy is like not really ecstasy. It's laced with other things. Oh, yeah. So I mean, that's true. With this all isn't the drugs. just don't just pick up ecstasy from some local dealer and think it's going to treat I remember PTSD. when I was, uh, I was doing some research on, uh, on, on cocaine, actually. And like most of what most, what people consider cocaine, what they buy, what they're putting up their nose, it's like 5%, 10% cocaine. The rest of it is uh, filler. There's like... Um, Baby powder, right? They like. put, they put, there's like a, a dewormer for cattle that's mixed up in it. Like all kinds of weird shit. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because, you know, not that I do smoke marijuana. Um, I really don't, but I mean, I've hippie, tried it, but from what, lettuce. from what I've heard marijuana has gotten more and more potent 
while I guess some of these street drugs have gotten less potent. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure that's because marijuana has become more mainstream in America and more and more people are growing it at home. Yeah. You know, so they're getting they're getting the real deal. And then there's all these people who are like, I don't know. I don't know anything about it, really, but they're doing all their hybrid marijuana grow bays and everything in their basement so although there's you know what is called synthetic marijuana which has nothing to do with real marijuana is you know really that that shit that the what did they call it um there's some nickname for it i think spice right or something like that they they banned it um i I remember like the military bases were like freaking out because our soldiers are smoking synthetic marijuana but that stuff seriously does fuck you up yeah it's uh, from what i read it's absolutely horrible for you and it and i think they're trying to i guess sanitize it with the name marijuana in it because it's not marijuana synthetic marijuana has like serious brain impact yeah um, and I've even heard of, like, on the border of Texas, them raiding places, you know, these little, like, head shops that sell bongs that sell synthetic marijuana. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know who the fuck would smoke synthetic marijuana, but I, I think the military bases were freaking out because they were like, well, this is a way soldiers can go and smoke this stuff and not have to worry about their drug tests. Um, but, you know, the synthetic marijuana, I, I mean, obviously it, it's fucking dudes up. So yeah. that, that was their concern. But otherwise, I have no idea why anyone would smoke synthetic marijuana. What the what are you thinking? Some people just don't do their research. and they Please hear, don't do that. Yeah. Um, well, getting into some actual news here before we get Dave Phillips on, um, this was big news. I just saw the video footage of Donald Trump meeting with them, the three Americans who were being held hostage in North Korea. Um, are now free, and they're now in the States. And that's Kim Dong-chul, Tony Kim, and Kim Hot-song. So, yes, the name Kim is in all yeah. three of those, but those are Americans who are now back on Released. U.S. soil. Um, so that's good news. Um, were they Christian missionaries? You know what? I was actually trying uh, to figure out why they were being held there. That was the case for... Um, Oh, the the I can't remember his name who was being held there. There's but. definitely a few Christian missionaries who had been detained over in North Korea. Um and then there's also negotiations ongoing, as I understand it, with Japan because the, the North Koreans have kidnapped a bunch of Japanese people over the years. Um and um so hopefully they're gonna get released as well. Or their remains will be returned to uh to Japan. And because of this, even people who have been critical of the president, pretty high praise for Donald Trump in that they're they're saying, all right, something positive is coming out of this meeting, which he also announced, I should add, uh, just tweeted out minutes before we started the podcast that he will be meeting with Kim Jong-un in Singapore on June 12th. Yeah, I mean, we had this conversation a few podcasts back where, like, how much credit does Donald Trump deserve? Um, You know, this is something that's been ongoing since 1945. But he's the first president, actually, as Brandon said recently on his podcast, to take this approach. What approach? Uh, Brandon was saying on Power of Thought that the approach has been starve these people out. We're not going to have any diplomacy with them. And Donald Trump is taking the opposite approach. I'm open to meeting with with Kim Jong-un. Yeah, but, I mean... I, I, look, I'm not trying to like cut, uh, undercut, you know, Donald Trump's legs out from under him. I, I just think it remains to be seen how much. I mean, meeting with Kim Jong Un, uh, it it it's, it legitimizes the regime, and it's a it's a bigger win for North Korea than it is for America. It may be, you know, it's yet to be seen what will. What will, ha- what will right. So let's let's just dial back before we get all giddy. And I mean, if you're a Donald Trump supporter, you're gonna you're gonna want to give him all the credit in the world. Look what he's done. This but this is a thing. positive thing. But Three. it is a, it is a positive thing. No matter how you look at it, it is a positive development. And uh, and I really hope that um, you know Donald and Kim Jong Un and the South Korean government can hash all this out. And hopefully, it turns amazing. out good. I yeah. mean, it, it is positive. No question about it. Yeah, and I think, you know, none of us want to see what the other alternative is, which, you know, people think is like a World War Three type scenario. Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably a confluence of different things. Um, it, it also has to do with, with Kim himself. He's a young leader, took control of this country because it's, it's a hereditary birthright, essentially, as part of the Kim regime. Um, and we talked about on that last podcast, I think he probably has some different ideas of North Korea and its place in the world and what it should do. There's some speculation about how he wants to draw closer to America 
and um, not be um, just sort of a plaything or a puppet for China to use to antagonize the rest of Asia. Um, if that's true, I mean, this is great. That's yeah. a great thing. I mean, let the let North Korea integrate into um, South Korea and and unite the Korean Peninsula for the first time since forty five, and, uh, and and let North Korea become part of the global community. I mean, it'd be amazing if it happens. Yeah. So it's it's an exciting thing to see, and uh, a lot of people have very high hopes for what's to come out of this. Um, also, just tweeted today. Uh, you know, just actually few minutes before we started this, Donald Trump wrote that the five most wanted leaders of ISIS have been captured. Yeah, that was interesting. I, I don't really know much about it other than what I read, but it was, um, I, I mean, I can tell from reading the article. <laughs> it's one of those things like when you read these articles and like say this one was in the New York Times, you can see, you have to like read between the lines and you can see the edits. You can see like, this is what's missing. There's like these voids that are, <laughs> that are there. And so there's a lot of this story that we're not getting, um, which I guess is understandable, but it, it seemed to be reported as some sort of joint CIA Iraqi intelligence operation where they captured one ISIS leader and then they used him to bait in like five others. Um, sounds like pretty you know, savvy plan to me. Yeah. And it worked, I guess. Do we know who these men are? I mean, the, um, the leader of ISIS was, um, well, that's debatable. Well, Who's really in charge? Baghdadi is the yeah. one that, you know, that he became uh, Cobra commander. He was the one that the media focused on. He was the one that ISIS put out as their front man. How much is he really in charge of? Yeah. Do you know, do you have any idea who these five men might be? Their names have been released. Okay. I, I mean, none of them, like, jumped out at me, like, oh, my God, it's such and such. Yeah. Gotcha. Because I didn't see that yet. Like I said, I haven't really read up on it yet, but I did see just the, the tweet. Um, and then last thing I want to cover before we get to David Phillips, uh, Israel strikes Iranian targets in Syria. Yeah. And that, you know, that just happened overnight. The I would say that... Israeli and Iranian tensions are at an all-time high, and they've always been very high. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of concern for what's to come of this. Well, yeah, we pulled out of the Iran deal, and then Iran fired a bunch of rockets at Israeli targets near the Golan Heights. Um, a couple different IDF facilities bases were hit, uh, so of course the Israelis retaliated, and they. Um, they actually struck a lot of regime targets. Um, they're punishing the Syrian regime for, uh, I suppose, ostensibly, or no, really, they, they are harboring um, Iran. So I, I guess that's what's going on there. Um, I was talking to a friend the other day, or actually just last night, who, uh, who was in Israel, and he was like, I think what we're trying to do is basically bait Iran into an attack or into a, into a larger conflict. Um, and he said that's kind of the Israeli approach. It's like better now than later. Yeah. But remains to be seen. I'd, I'd actually like to get someone on from Israel to talk about this. Um, well, actually, although he's, he, he goes between Israel and the U.S., but I reached out to Dan Gordon to come back on just because it's been quite a while since we've had Dan Gordon on. He's never been on with you. Um, but also who didn't love the movie Surf Ninjas with Rob Schneider and <laughs> how many former IDF guys are like writers of these interesting Hollywood movies, which, you know, we mention every time he's on. But he also um, produced some uh, or wrote some great stuff like Wyatt Earp, um, with Kevin Costner. Oh, really? Yeah. And The Hurricane with Denzel Washington. Excellent movie. So he's just an extremely talented guy. And he just put out a movie um, or, or he just wrote something with. It's someone related to Kevin Sorbo. I'd have to check it out, but I think it's a faith-based thing because Kevin Sorbo is a very like religious Christian, um, you know. And I think uh, Dan Gordon, I believe, is a practicing Jew, so I, I think it's something faith-based. And we'll check it out. I have actually a funny Kevin Sorbo story. When I used to book Kevin Sorbo for David Webb's show, he would call me. Uh, he'd call me back, and he'd always say like, "Hey, I'm, I'm open to coming on David's show." He's like, I am very conservative, but I do not want to get into all that on the show. He's like, I just want to promote what I'm doing. And he's like, look, these fucking Democrats, they're basically socialists, communists, <laughs> but, I, but I'm not going to talk about it on the show because it'll fuck up my career in Hollywood. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. Then he would come on the show. I would let the host know, like, we're not going to get into all this. 
And then he would start in with it. You know what I mean? Like, couldn't help himself. And he'd be like, these, these goddamn Democrats. You know, like, he, uh, you know, he just, like, can't help himself from getting political. Kevin that's, Sorbo is, uh, he was Hercules, Hercules right? Yeah. yeah that's I why I have no him. problem um, talking about him saying that because he would. He would blow it up. Yeah, yeah. and he's very open about it. So I don't know what he was trying to hide. Yeah, and But now he's a lot more faith-based in his movies. Um put out God's Not Dead, and then there was a sequel, God's Not Dead 2, and that's, like, what he's doing now. It's, like, very Christian-oriented um, programming. And Okay. Yeah, that's that's his thing. But anyway, yeah, Dan Gordon worked with not Kevin Sorbo himself. I'll have to look it up again. I was but. a bigger fan of Lucy Lawless and uh, Xena, the warrior princess. <laughs> she was on Parks and Recs. I've never really watched that show. That's a good show. Cool. Uh all right, well, let's get over to Dave, unless you have anything else that you want to get into. Um, no, no, I think that's it. But by the way, I've been getting emails sent to softrep.radio at softrep.com, and just every email is like heavily anticipating your, your uh, memoir. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. good to hear. Yeah, people are excited. Um, for it. I have a meeting with uh, my publisher tomorrow, actually. I, I, we're just having kind of a face-to-face talk about as we're going through the editing process, and I've been working on the book a lot, trying to fine-tune it. Um, and so we're going to have a sit down tomorrow and talk about all that. How many pages is the rough book? I was looking at it yesterday. It's 83,000 words, um, as it stands. Uh, so I don't want to like make promises because this isn't the final version of the book, but I I believe that's going to be like a 350 page book. That's, that's pretty average. I would say as a length. Yeah. Cool. Looking forward to it, man. It's not going to be like Henry Kissinger's three-volume autobiography. You know? Dude, you know what? I'm reading surprisingly thick. I'll tell you something. I, I've, I've bought this book three times, and I'll explain why. This is Mike Tyson's memoir. Super thick book. I, this is, let's see, uh, 595 pages. I mean, for a memoir, and there's pictures in here, but not a whole lot. I'll tell you why I bought this three times. I bought this as a hardcover, and it's huge. It's like a fucking textbook, and I was like, "I'm it's not like gonna, a brick." Yeah, yeah. I was like, "I'm not going to carry this around," so I returned it. You know, there's a thing called eBooks now, right? Here's the thing. Then I bought it on Kindle, and I am just not a fan of reading on a Kindle. I realize you can I've, read on a tablet too, or a cell phone, or whatever. Yeah, I don't really like. I, I like having the actual book in front of me. So I've read maybe two books on a Kindle, and then I was just like, "This is not for me." Uh, so I bought it again. I, cause, and, and I didn't actually take it out from a library just cause it's thicker. I'm like, I know it's going to take me longer. I, I end up taking longer to read. So to be honest, so it's good. It's good thus far though. I mean, yeah. Mike Tyson has lived an extremely interesting life. Yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. There's no doubt about that. I mean, getting into trouble, getting out of trouble. Yeah. I'm very big on memoirs of athletes and musicians. Those are like my favorite type of books personally. I don't think I have ever read anything like that. Really? No. Read Motley Crue's The Dirt. That's a crazy book. Yeah. Yeah, that's up there for me. I, I mean, I, everybody's read it. It's just like the shit that these guys did. Because they were, they were like getting into fist fights backstage and like... Yeah, and also, you know, hooking up with women who are probably... Who I, I, you know, I think it's safe to say like we're underage at the time. People didn't really care. This was yeah, far yeah. before the Me Too yeah, movement. Yeah. And just, dude, the amount of antics, the amount of drug overdoses that these, like, they were the most reckless band, I think, in the history of rock music. <laughs> so it's worth, re- I mean, well, Nikki Six, if you ever see the behind the music, talks about that he overdosed on heroin, went, went to the hospital, uh, you know, flatlined, and went back to his apartment. And he's like, yeah, I, um, I changed my voicemail to like, this is Nikki Six, and if you're hearing this, I'm dead. And he's like, and then I shot up. Another dose of heroin. Holy like, shit. Yeah, woke up like the next morning with a pool of blood inside his palm. And he's like, at that point was when I realized like I have a problem. Holy shit. Yeah. The, like just out of control, like at the height of of their fame, at the height of of what people would call success, they were all out of control. So, yeah, I would highly recommend reading The Dirt. I mean, if you're someone who's not into reading stuff, that let's just say isn't tame. It's not for you, but it's definitely very explicit. But I, I love that book. Yeah, I mean, I imagine a bunch of, like, young guys who suddenly come into fame and fortune. And, like, there's no, like, guidebook to show you how to handle that. Yeah, and all these guys end up being out of control. Justin Bieber, 
Like if you look Justin at, Bieber's out of control. Oh yeah, the yeah. Biebs. Yeah, he's been he's been very out of control with like crashing cars and drugs, and he seems like he's you know I guess a religious Christian now and changing oh, his life around. Also, his entire body is tattooed at this point, which is so funny. Like you see this teeny bopper. Yeah, yeah. He was like Tiger Beat. Yeah, yeah. So all right. I mean, if if I uh, got blew up like that and became rich and famous, like it would be just the opposite. You wouldn't hear from me probably ever again. I'd just like buy an island and I'd be like snorkeling all day. Well, you're talking about now, but if you were like if I was if like eighteen, fifteen, yeah. Oh Jesus, yeah. I'd be a train wreck. Yeah, no question. And that's what a lot of these guys experience. So you know, yeah. you don't you don't know how to act. Yeah, yeah, it's totally different between you know being getting famous when you're 20 and getting you know coming into that same kind of notoriety when you're like 35 or 40. You're already an adult and have a family and stuff. Yeah, yeah. All right, I well, see that. With that, joining us for the first time on Soft Rep Radio, Dave Phillips, Pulitzer Prize winning national correspondent for the New York Times, covering veterans and the military and issues involving the veterans veterans in the military. Uh, so this latest article that you wrote, Ecstasy as a Remedy for PTSD, you probably have some questions, is really interesting because I, I feel like until now, the idea of using MDMA or ecstasy as a remedy for PTSD has been a little bit more of an abstract. And this has a little bit more concrete evidence than it is, that it is having some initial results. Right, right. I really enjoyed reading it because so just to to get into the beginning of it, as you wrote here, research published in the British Journal of the Lancet Psychiatry found that after two sessions of psychotherapy with the party drug, officially known as MDMA, a majority of 26 combat veterans and first responders with chronic PTSD who had not been helped by traditional methods saw dramatic decreases in symptoms. And you have like quotes here from someone who is a former Marine Corps uh, machine gunner and as you write here, the improvements were so dramatic that 68% of the patients no longer met the clinical criteria for PTSD. So I'd like to hear you get into that and, and what you observed from these guys. Yeah, so those results are pretty astounding that uh, 68%, almost three out of four of these folks who had not been helped by the, the traditional uh, remedies, psychotherapy or, or you know accepted medications, 68% of them um, had such dramatic decreases in symptoms that they no longer qualified for a PTSD diagnosis. Now, that doesn't mean they're cured, that they have no more issues. It just means that they are below the threshold. They are, are seen as no longer essentially having a disorder. So that's uh, uh, amazing. That is um, such strong results that it, it really, uh, I mean, if you were comparing apples to apples to to other things like, um, you know, the established psychotherapy approaches, it works a lot better. Uh, so that immediately caught my attention, and I wanted to know, okay, uh, what is this all about? Is this data real, um, and and what does it mean going forward? Hey, Dave, it's Jack. Uh, thanks for coming on today. I, I just yeah. wanted to I wanted to ask if you could get a little bit deeper into that. Um, you know, I've seen over the years all kinds of um, various treatments floated out there for people who are suffering from PTSD. Um, some of it's pretty zany, everything from using DMT to using magnets and the power of magnetism. And it's just hard to know how much of it is pseudoscience. But, I mean, this sounds like there's some real results here. I was wondering if you could explain why... MDMA is something that actually seems to work. I mean, what is it doing for guys that, that is helping? Yeah, that was the thing that caught my eye, too, is there are so many people out there uh, who, you know, say they've found a better way to address PTSD. And one of the reasons is that it's a huge problem, right? I mean, if we just look at um, the military and you take out first responders and anyone else, um, We've, we've probably got hundreds of thousands of people who are affected at some level. And the current accepted um, treatments don't work very well. And by that, I mean that I'm not saying that they don't work. Sometimes they work wonders. But for a lot of people, uh, they don't. Uh, people either find them re-traumatizing in, in yes. cases of, of some types of psychotherapy. There's and that they quit, one kind where they, they, make you, they make you relive the memories over and over again. Right. And, and some people, for some people, that's actually very effective. And there is a scientific basis in that. And 
for some people, uh, they're just, it's not. And uh, what's unfortunate is the people where it's not effective and they leave, a lot of times they're not counted in, in the studies. If right. it's too traumatic and they say, forget this, I'm out of here, uh, they no longer become part of the sample size. So I think that that the evidence for that type of therapy is a little shakier than we think. Um, so in psychotherapy, there are people that are not getting help. Also in medication, there are people that are not getting help. Now, there are only two drugs that are actually uh, FDA approved for treating PTSD. They're both uh, antidepressants. Um, but as, as listeners probably know, um, uh, people are treated off-label by all sorts of stuff. So you might go in to uh, get help for PTSD and you get an antidepressant and a sleep aid and an anti-anxiety drug and a uh, blood pressure drug that somehow is supposed to help and you leave with 5, 6, 12 different medications. Um, a lot of it seems kind of weird from just from the onset. It seems kind of weird to treat PTSD with depression. I mean, I'm sure depression is one symptom, but I, I mean, just because you have PTSD doesn't mean you're depressed. Right. And, and again, I think it, there, there was, you know, some, some clinical basis, some testing that actually said this does help, but it, it was, it was not super compelling, uh, uh, super compelling evidence. So, you know, what you've got is, is two established treatments, either prescription drugs or psychotherapy that work but don't work for everybody. And that's why you have this proliferation of all sorts of other stuff, you know, um, swimming with the dolphins, therapy dogs, <laughs> uh, uh, wilderness retreats. Hiawaska. Uh, magnets, you know, like, just like you said. And I'm not saying that those things aren't effective too, but uh, their scientific basis, their, their actual evidence is even shakier. So, you know, I think the um, absence of some really compelling, effective one treatment opened the door for, for um, studies of PTSD. Well, what is the, the effect that MDMA has on, on the people that it was tested on? I mean, can you describe how that is actually helping them? Yeah, so let me first describe how this is applied. Sure. Um, because I think uh, most of us are familiar with, with MDMA and we associate it with as a party drug. Yeah, I thought you about know, bringing my glow sticks into work today. <laughs> or a rave or whatever. Um, uh, so what is actually being studied is what they call MDMA-assisted therapy. So it is taking MDMA in conjunction with a, a, um, a series of 12 therapy sessions. First, you do three sessions where you get to know your therapist. They get to know you and, and what your issues are, and you get an understanding of, of what the MDMA is going to be like. And then you take a, a dose of MDMA while the, at the therapist's office while the therapist is there. How, I'm uh, sorry, David, how, how, long, how long does that last, the high from that? Yeah, so, so this is not like your normal doctor's office where you're like sitting on the, the table with the paper on it, right? Uh, the, the office where they do these studies, uh, it kind of looks like a hangout. You know, there's comfy couches and, and cool music playing and fresh flowers, and it's like a very pleasant place. And the entire, I'll call it a trip, uh, for lack of a better, like, clinical term, the, the trip lasts about eight hours. What? Uh, during which two Jeez. therapists uh, sit next to you and sort of guide you through uh, the experience. I just, that scares and, me, man. I mean, if, if you're not enjoying this... You're fucked for eight hours if this well, does not go well. Eight uh, hours. I, think, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I think generally um, uh, there there's some um, the evidence was that there was some uh, anxiety going into it when you know when when patients felt the the drug hit, uh, but but that I think the people having a, a quote unquote bad trip was really low. And I, I think that that is sort of the street reputation of this drug as well. You know, it's a lot different from LD, uh, LSD. Uh, so anyway, y you go through this eight hours where suddenly your, your brain is flooded with hormones and neurotransmitters that um, create a sense of trust and safety and um, uh, well-being. And the therapists that are doing this, they don't really know you know, on a neuron level, what is happening. 
but they describe uh, uh, the MDMA as, as sort of a, a catalyst that allows a healing process to happen. Uh, so the the main doctor who's been heading this up, he had been a um, he had been an emergency doctor, emergency room doctor for years before he became a psychiatrist. And so I asked him, well, what do you mean if it's a catalyst that allows the healing to happen? And he said, well, you know, the body has the ability to heal itself. When I was in the emergency room and someone came in with a broken bone, I put a cast around it, but I did not actually do the healing of the bone. I just Hmm. created a situation where healing could take place. And that is what we think is happening with the MDMA. Uh, If you think of post-traumatic stress disorder, it is an inability to properly process traumatic memories. And so you keep re-experiencing them and re-experiencing them, sometimes in conscious ways, sometimes in unconscious ways, uh, you know, like in elevated blood, blood pressure or, or in dreams. So what they think happens is you are so flooded with sort of trust and well-being that you are able to open the closet where the boogeyman is and uh, turn the light on, essentially, you know, and, and see these issues for what they are. Um, now, they don't think that that in itself is healing, but that combined with follow-up therapy and follow-up sessions of MDMA eventually allow you to see what's going on and put it in a new perspective, essentially repackage those memories that were too traumatic for you to properly deal with in, in uh, the parts of your brain that, that store them and, and package them in a better way. Uh, and what's interesting is that, you know, this idea that the healing will happen naturally within the body and the MDMA is just sort of the, the cast that lets it take place. Hmm. There, there is some interesting evidence to that in their studies. Uh, overwhelmingly, uh, people's uh, level of PTSD, it went down dramatically after the sessions of MDMA. But then when the sessions were done, in the 12 months after, it continued to sort of creep down after that as their, their body, their mind, uh, their conscious self continued to sort of process and create a new relationship with these memories. Um, so really different um, from an antidepressant, which is trying to, to uh, lessen the symptoms. Uh, it is essentially psychotherapy with, with a cast. <laughs> Yeah, so the MDMA has the potential to actually resolve the problem, so to speak. That that is what they think. It helps you repackage this stuff and and cure it, you know. And a lot of the medications that have been used off label that I mentioned, they were trying to help people deal with the symptoms. Look, you can't sleep, here's something for that. Right. You you get you're too anxious to drive, here's something for that. Uh, this is a very, very different approach. So so the study they only took MDMA one time? So in this study, and, and I should say that this study was, was a, a few dozen people, but it is one of six uh, similar studies uh, so where they've used the same technique. And the technique is basically this. Um, use psychotherapy, and in conjunction with the psychotherapy, you take two or three eight-hour trips. Um, they, some, they have not seen necessarily much more benefit to a third trip. So I think that their technique is getting refined as they go. That's interesting. That is like one dose and it can have such a big impact on somebody's life. Right. It's totally amazing. And, you know, I got to say, I'm kind of skeptical about this stuff. Like, uh, you know, I have talked to a ton of people uh, about uh, the benefits of, of marijuana for PTSD. Mm-hmm. And I always thought like, yeah, okay. It's, it's a known like anti-anxiety drug, but it's, it's probably not going to help you out a lot. Like right. no harm done, but not that exciting as an actual treatment. It's one of those things that can um, get you through the day, but that's it. Right. Right. And, and certainly better than wild, you know, wild Turkey. Sure. But, sure. um, <laughs> uh, totally different from, from this approach. And I think that's why, uh, uh, clinicians are, are really excited about this stuff. Um, it is not just a couple of uh, hippies from California who are, are you know, studying this, although, uh, funny story, that's who funded all the research. Uh, but it's now the VA, uh, some Ivy League universities that are getting interested in, okay, how can we use this idea 
uh, not just for PTSD, but to look at other anxiety disorders. I wonder about what Big Pharma's take on this will be, because oftentimes when you give veterans with PTSD, antidepressants, and those type of things, they they essentially have a customer for life or for many years. If this is something that could be right. treated at one or two times, this is not a big moneymaker for any drug company. Well, and that uh, is the reason that no drug company, well, I shouldn't say the reason, but perhaps the reason no drug sure. company has gotten involved in this. The group that is funding uh, all of the research and has really been a proponent of this is a nonprofit um, called MAPS, uh, Multidisciplinary Association for uh, Psychedelic Studies. Uh, and it's really the work of, of one man, a Harvard grad, who uh, was involved with, with MDMA before it, was, it became illegal in the mid-'80s and realized uh, there was a healing potential to it then. And when it was made illegal, he decided he would make it his life's work to try and legalize it again. And the only way he sought to do that was to prove through rigorous science uh, that it had a clinical benefit. And so he's taken donations from um, all sorts of people. Uh, Dr. Bronner Soap is a major uh, funder of his, but so are a lot of uh, big conservative donors, uh, including the Mercer family, which uh, owns a big stake in Breitbart News. Um, some traditional public health uh, philanthropists like the Rockefeller family have also given, um, I think, more than a million dollars to this effort. Uh, so it, it really it, it has a lot of people who have taken interest because they see the results. So what's the next step then now that they, they've gotten some initial findings that there's a lot of potential here? Um, is, is there any plan for, you know, what's the next step? How do we um, look at maybe mainstreaming this kind of treatment? Yeah, so, so any drug that's going to be approved by the FDA has to go through essentially steps one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Step one, prove that this thing is not dangerous. You know, if we tried to test cyanide as a, as a potential treatment and everybody died as soon as they tried it, <laughs> it wouldn't get past step one. Yeah. Okay, MDMA got past step one. Step two, prove that it actually has clinical benefit. Not only that it won't kill you, but it can actually help with, with a, a specific disorder or ailment. Which is what uh, they're and doing. that's what these uh, repeated small studies have done. They're called phase two studies that show, yes, these made a significant difference in PTSD. Phase three is the larger scale study. Can we actually take this little study that might have had a few dozen people in it um, and do it not only with more people, but with um, lots of different psychiatrists? Because what if it is not that the MDMA is amazing, but that the guy leading the studies is amazing and can just talk to people in a way can cure them? So they want to know that it can work everywhere with everyone, um, those studies are going to start within a few weeks and um, should be finished by uh, 2020. Uh, if they can replicate the results that, that have been seen so far, uh, it's expected that the FDA will approve this um, maybe by 2021. Wow. Now, that does not mean that you can go down uh, to your uh, Walgreens and get a prescription for MDMA and take it home. Yeah. <laughs> it would be still pretty tightly controlled, and you would only able, be able to get it in this, uh, this psychotherapy-assisted setting where you would be, it would be part of an uh, agreed-upon psychotherapy program, and you would get it just uh, a set number of times, two or three that's excellent. I mean, I would hope that these results are replicated on a larger scale. And I would especially hope, though, because there always is that issue with when you're taking any kind of drug, putting any type of chemical in your body, there's probably going to be the anomaly who responds negatively and might even worsen their PTSD. Right, right. Um, you know, it's interesting, too, is, is uh, you know, I, I wonder, so I live in Colorado where uh, pot is legal and, and all over the place. Uh, and I wondered if, you know, this could be a, a letting the genie out of the bottle thing where, okay, if you let people do MDMA in this this therapy session, are they going to like like it so much that then afterwards they just like go buy it on the street right. and, and that's that. And so I actually asked a number of the vets who've gone through this program and a couple of them said that, yeah, they did go do that afterwards, but they didn't get a whole lot out of it. Um, the... Uh, 
guided therapy sessions really uh, made a huge difference to them. And they, I think all the one, all of them that I talked to had tried it once or maybe twice after, but hadn't since. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So I think they, they thought it was really, uh, different from just like, uh, doing it at a, at a, a party or something. And it's also, it's gotta be, uh, weird finding like a therapist who's willing to sit down for eight hours and guide them through this experience. It, sound, it almost sounds, I mean, I don't mean to be insulting to, you know, the hard work that these doctors um, have done, but it almost sounds like Timothy Leary type stuff. It does. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it is kind of related, right? It's this weird combination of this very ancient shamanistic right, right. idea. That's why of, I mentioned like ayahuasca and modern psychotherapy. Um, uh, so the one of the things that that uh, the organization that's that's doing this maps is really engaged in right now is okay they they are pretty confident this will be um, uh, approved by 2021. What's going to happen then? Will we have enough really well trained psychotherapists to meet the need? So they are actively right now uh, training uh, you know the people who will do this right oh, now. It's just a handful. Um, but they are, they are, uh, making more every day. I think one issue could be, you have a current administration that has been pretty hostile towards recreational drugs. I mean, the stuff Jeff Sessions has said about marijuana, which is a pretty tame drug. I, I think most people would say in comparison to ecstasy, um, and has not been very open to the whole legalization movement. I wonder if they would, um, put a halt on something like that. Yeah, I, I haven't looked into that, and so I, I don't want to speculate on sure. it. But we will see. I think that that uh, the the broad coalition of donors and supporters, and the the pretty if they can if they can show real evidence, uh, that'll be pretty compelling. So we'll see how it shakes out. Awesome. Hey, I'm wondering uh, before we let you go, since you know you do write about veterans affairs, uh, what other stuff are you working on for the Times? Oh, uh, you know what? We're trying to figure out right now how the lack of leadership at VA is actually affecting services on the ground. Um, oh my gosh, you got your uh, work cut out for you there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I know because the, the VA is so large and, and and different ways screwed up anyway that it's hard to tell how much of the screwing up is happening in Washington and how much <laughs> of it is, is just you know local. Yeah. Um, but we want to keep a real close eye on that. I think that a, a lot of vet groups are, are worried that without, you know, good leadership, um, things could just sort of sprawl and uh, maybe go go back a few steps. For sure. VA seems like a uniquely screwed up organization. Like they screw up everything there is to screw up and they just can't stop screwing up no matter how hard <laughs> people try you to know reverse what? it. I actually, I actually think that like VA is so big um, – that whatever you can say about it will be both right and wrong. You know, it's like the military. It, it, you know, within the military, there are people who are just like amazing and sure. smart and selfless, and there are just total morons too. Who right, you like can't even uh, believe how they got in. Same thing you know, in law so enforcement. VA, yeah. Every yeah, the VA every day provides like amazing life saving care. It has uh, smart and dedicated people who are working there selflessly. And it just also is this bureaucratic morass. <laughs> so, uh, what's difficult is to not, is to hold both things in your head at once. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, uh, said before I've been to the VA here in Manhattan and I've had pretty good experiences, you know, no bad experiences for sure. But then I also have a friend who, uh, was one of the people who was, uh, you know, molested by the doctor. Uh, it came out in the news. I can't remember his name, but he was like the Jerry Sandusky of veterans affairs. And he was groping and molesting all of these veterans under the guise of it being, um, medical examinations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the problem with the VA is how do you, like, report on both and, and yeah. really give an idea of what's going on? Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, I've read that story. I know the person that it involves. Um, yeah. Actually, a long time ago, he was on the show. and uh, No, really good guy. Uh, and it's unfortunate that, you know, anybody has to go through that. And, by the way, the, the, you know, the stereotype of people will have, and I'm sure he has to deal with this, is, you know, this is like a badass, you know, former Army special operations guy. 
And people probably say to him, like, how did you let that go on? Why didn't you just kick the guy's ass? And I'm sure there's a reason that it didn't go down that way. Uh, it, it, it's it's weird. I mean, it's one of those things where the, there's a doctor who's in a position of authority. And sure. at that moment, you think that what he's doing is appropriate, you know. And But right. uh, over a longer period of time, it comes out like, actually, this was really inappropriate. And he was doing it to a lot of different people. Um, right, right, right. But, I mean, he, he had his day. Justice was served in that case, um, so at least there's that. Yeah. Well, Dave, keep up the good work on that. Um, I'm looking forward to see what, you know, you guys come up with. Um, you know, VA definitely needs a lot of reform and maybe restructuring. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, you know, it's so often in, in the Trump administration, people talk about big change, and then they can't even get someone confirmed. So, it's yeah. a question of, of will they be able to do what they want to do? And I actually am still questioning what they want to do. So uh, as we try and figure that out, we'll, you know, we'll report it. That's yeah, great. absolutely. And when you do, um, you know, I hope you'll come back on the podcast and we can talk about it some more. Sure. Sounds good. Yeah, this was great. And I loved the study. Uh, like, I really do hope that this has some positive results in the future. And I'm sure some veterans listening to this are hopeful that that this could be a treatment option in the future. Um, yeah. And if you want to follow David on Twitter, it's at David underscore Phillips. And I should emphasize two P's uh, at the end of Phillips. So this is David underscore P-H-I-L-L-I-P-P-S. Because uh, there is another David Phillips who spells it, you know, the other way. But yeah, David underscore. A nice guy, but not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so David <laughs> underscore Phillips, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-P-S on Twitter. And we look forward to reading more of your work at the New York Times. I mean, I think people will be pleasantly surprised, people who don't read the New York Times. Yes, there is someone covering veterans' issues from an objective standpoint. So I think it's great. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. See ya. So one of the last things I want to get into before we wrap things up here, uh, Gina Haspel being confirmed uh, or hopefully being confirmed as the new director of the CIA. Uh, Jack Devine wrote an article on this, a recent guest. I'd love to have him back on to talk about it, saying that, like, for one, it would be great to have a female at the head of the CIA. Like, it would be a groundbreaking thing. But he's, like, on top of her being a female he believes this is the most qualified person that would ever hold this position, went into her background. And I think the headline of the article, basically what he implied was that Gina Haspel is saying that torture will not come back under the CIA in any capacity under her. We need to believe this and we need to confirm her. Yeah. uh, Well, I mean, I understand why people are sensitive about the, you know, rendition and the, and the enhanced interrogation techniques um, but it seems like we like, didn't they grill Pompeo about this stuff too? Yeah. Like, are you going to torture people? It's like, okay. Like at a certain point, like I, I understand, I don't agree with those methods and I, I think it was immoral if not illegal and we shouldn't be doing that kind of thing, but like, okay, we got to move on now. And, and I think Gina is also somebody who has moved on and, and understands like, we don't want to make these mistakes again. Question then, what about people like Rob O'Neill who have been very vehement in tweeting like that, that enhanced interrogation led to the capture of Osama bin Laden from his view? And you mean the killing of bin Laden? Yeah, the cat. Well, the, yeah, the killing. Well, I, I, I have no idea. That's the, the zero dark 30 narrative. I mean, I, I don't, I can't speak for Rob O'Neill, but I have no idea why he believes that. Like there was, there, that's not how they found Bin Laden was through waterboarding people. But I think they believe, you know, KSM, and it, it led to some of the progress. I've heard other. I mean, it, this is an interesting thing because I could say in the history of this podcast, the, the CIA. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure the CIA has come out themselves and said no that that is not how we found Bin Laden. But I was just going to say this is an interesting thing because in the history of this podcast, this has been a very conflicted thing. Drew Dwyer's former CIA has said that like. He has said on the podcast, I know that it has led to stopping terrorist attacks. You know, Maybe. And yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily doubt it. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's certainly possible. I, you know what? I think the problem some people have with the narrative is when people come out there and they're like, fuck these terrorists. We'll do whatever the hell we want to them, electrocute their balls. And it's like, yeah, yeah. that's not why we're doing this. We're hoping that it leads to some right. substantial it's, information. It's not just done as a punishment. Right. And that's the that's the 
the, you know, like the Stanley Milgram experiments and where it becomes sadistic, it's like, we're not torturing people so we can feel good about ourselves. So like, I can feel like I'm a man. <laughs> I torture, like that is the worst reason yeah. to ever do anything. Um, you know, you're doing it hopefully to, you know, to, to increase, um, American national security and save innocent lives, yeah. you know, if anything, um, it'll be interesting because I get into this topic a little bit in, uh, in, in my memoir that I'm writing because I was a, a guard at certain points in a, a so-called, you know, JSOC black site, you know, secret prison. Uh, and I witnessed some things and my friends witnessed some things. Does this include the guy who was handcuffed on his wedding night? No, no, that was not us. Okay. That was Iraqi security forces that did that. I just meant when you said witnessed some things. No, no, this was an actual American detention facility that where we were detaining Iraqis, and I saw, you know, um, stresses put upon prisoners. Um, is it torture? At the time, I did not regard it as torture, um, but it's debatable. Some people will definitely tell you, it, it, you know, um, sleep deprivation, stress positions, things like that were torture. Um, I, I have mixed feelings about it to this day. Um, I, I, I don't have like really big moral um, objections to like a stress position or something like that. Well, considering you as an army ranger probably have to do some of the same stuff. Well, I, I mean, I definitely I went through worse when I went through Sears school. Yeah, I was definitely subjected to worse than what the detainees, what what I saw was happening. Um, but it raises some questions. I mean, is this appropriate? You know, and um, some of my uh, privates uh, in my squad were also having to pull the same guard duties. And uh, the in um, the people who worked in the detention facility were encouraging my soldiers, like, go and beat the shit out of the detainees. And I told them, I was like, absolutely not. You will not do that because that's not your job. Um, you know, Abu Ghraib was something in the news at the time. I was like, you do not need, you have no business being involved in any of that kind of bullshit. But there were people working in that detention facility telling my soldiers to do that. And I, I stopped it. And, it. and I was like, look, if they tell you to do that and they like put you on the spot and try to order you, you come back here and you find me. Yeah. And it's definitely the right move because regardless of what people's moral objections are, like you could very likely screw yourself over. And then at some point, some guy you're serving with oh, is yeah. in Fort Leavenworth if something comes and, and, out. And now we're going, we're also going off the script. So like the uh, the stress positions and things like that, that was authorized at that time, um, just like the waterboarding was for the CIA at the time, whether you agree with it or not. But that was the procedure, okay? But now you're having like extrajudicial, like extracurricular activities, like, yeah, go beat the shit out of that guy. No, no, no. That, that's a Bugarab type shit, you know, where you're doing it for like some kind of self-satisfaction. Like that's wrong. Like yeah. that's hands down just wrong. There's no question about that. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I'll write a little bit about that stuff. I'm sure it's going to piss people <laughs> off. There was other stuff going on inside that facility also and, and others around Iraq um, that no one's really talked about thus far. Interesting. I don't, I don't know if it'll ever come out. They were run by contractors. They weren't being run by soldiers. Yeah. But at least from what I've read, the criticism of uh, Gina Haspel seems pretty unfounded in that, like, this is what the this is what yeah. was instructed to do at the time. I, she, she wasn't the sole person who said, this is what I want to do. She was, she was I mean, I, I'm sorry to describe it this way, but she was a cog in the machine. She sure. was one person, you know, in that, in that, um, you know, intel, in the intelligentsia, <laughs> in, the, in the intelligence infrastructure. Um but, you know, when I, I, I queried uh, some friends of mine who have been, you know, working in the CIA um, for a long period of time, and, and I, I asked them about Gina, and they were like, look, she's the best person for the job because she was there. She saw all the mistakes we made, yeah. and she experienced all the political bullshit, you know, the run-up to the Iraq war, the enhanced interrogation techniques. She lived through all of that, so she knows where those pitfalls are. And she knows she doesn't want to repeat those mistakes again. Makes sense. So I and I, I agree with Jack Devine, and that's what I've said in the past. Like, if you're to ask me personally, I don't know how much my opinion counts for anything when it comes to who should be <laughs> running the CIA. But in my opinion, I prefer that it's a career spy, yeah. a career CIA officer, as opposed to a political appointee um, who is just not familiar with the ins and outs of intelligence operations. Yep, I, I certainly could agree on that. Um, well, this has been a, a great show. Loved having David on. Um, I'm looking forward to checking out more of his work. 
And as we wrap things up here, there's only one club out there with gear handpicked by special operations military veterans from several branches. And that, of course, is Crate Club. Past items we've had in our premium crates have been a survival belt, which includes a stainless steel knife, fire starter, bottle opener, and an LED flashlight. Great item. All of that in the belt. It's pretty damn cool. Uh, also in the premium crate, we had a ballistic shield insert for your backpack made by Cry Precision. Cry puts out some great items. Uh, and Crate Club's really stepping it up as 2018 progresses by putting out more custom products that you're not going to find anywhere else. Early on, um, you know, it was hard for us to, to do that. And now that we've progressed, we can, which is great. And we're passing that on to you. Uh, we have different tiers of membership, depending on how prepared you want to be. And gift options are available as well. So check that all out at CrateClub.us, CrateClub.us. For you dog owners, check this out. You're going to love this. We've just partnered with Kuna. They have a team of trained canine handlers picking out a box for your dog each month of healthy treats and training aids. It's custom built for your dog's size and age as well. The products are U.S. sourced, all natural, and not only promote a healthy diet, but also promote being active with your dog. So whether you're talking a pit bull or a chihuahua, this is just what you're looking for. You can see all of that at kuna.dog. That's kuna.dog. It's efficient for you. Your dog will appreciate it as well, of course, and that's spelled C-U-N-A dot D-O-G. That first box is out there. People are loving it, so get on it, and you'll get that second box. Also, as a reminder for those who are listening, for a limited time, you can receive a 50% discounted membership to the Spec Ops channel, our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. Or, of course, you can become a team room member, and then you'll get that, and you could also comment on these podcasts along with the community at softrep.com, uh, talk to the authors and all that great stuff. Um, Spec Ops Channel premiere show Training Cell follows former Special Operations Forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country. Everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch this content by subscribing to the Spec Ops channel, and that's at specopschannel.com, and take advantage of a limited-time offer of 50% off your membership, only $4.99 a month, or, as I said, become a team room member, and that's included. Uh, the app for the Spec Ops channel was just developed by Chris, our developer, and it's available for iOS if you have an iPhone, and the Android version will be available in June. Um, as always, follow us at Soft Rep Radio. Next episode, we're going to have the founder of Emerson Knives on. So if you're a weapons guy, I mean, Emerson is a premier brand. One in of the, the best, field, yeah. yeah, of knives. So we'll get to talk about all of that. So if you're a gear guy, that's going to be a great show. A lot of other great people coming on at the end of this month. I'm looking at the books by Matthew Betley here, uh, who's a former Marine Corps officer and fiction writer. Uh, has put out some great stuff that I know the likes of people like Brad Thor have praised. So I'm excited for that. Uh, with that, anything else from you? No, I think that's it. I mean, we got some other stuff brewing as far as podcast guests. and That we won't reveal yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, all right, guys. As always, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I, I know a lot of you have. A lot of you haven't. It's really quick. Just go right on that app, write a five-star review. Uh, so we can get our visibility up because I want to make sure that every week we're beating Bernie Sanders podcast. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be overshadowed by him or zero blog 30, which does very well. You know, as a podcast in our category and I, it, it was doing like, OK, the first week and then it shot down because I was like, who the hell is going to listen to this? Senator Barbara Boxer has a podcast in our category, huh? which I'm proud to say we're beating. Bernie Sanders, though, we come very close. Like, we're, we're, we're like coming uh, like tied up with the Bernie bros. Yes, yeah, sometimes they do better than us, sometimes we do better than them. So, sweet mother of God. <laughs> leave a review. That's the only way we can do better. So, yeah, leave a review. Say yes to capitalism, folks. Don't listen to that. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. For all of the great content from our veteran journalists, join us and become a team room member today at softrep.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at softrepradio. 
And be sure to also check out the Power of Thought podcast, hosted by Hurricane Group CEO and Navy SEAL sniper instructor, Brandon Webb.